It's May 1982, and David has just informed his mom that they're out of tinfoil since he used up an entire roll of it to clad his life-size canine model that he built from cardboard boxes. Would she understand why they needed to do a grocery store run right now so he could complete his own tin dog to be just like Doctor Who? This is a Flashback Metabulous 2 podcast on Underworld. This is a story of Fang's dog. For the dog that chases its tail, we'll be busy. He's a happy dog. Rhythmic dog. Harmonic dog. House dog. Stick dog. Dog of the world unite. Dancing dogs. So I was laughing. I was really hoping that you were going to say that you bought all that tin foil so you could dress up like a Varden. <laughs> That's next week. Uh, next no, time. exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that really would have marked that. that I mean, having a tin foil canine marks you out as weird enough, but if you bought it to dress up as a Varden, you I really would have been a strange as child. A Varden. <laughs> You know what? I am going to, if ever I do cosplay, I am going to cosplay as a Varden. There you go. Yeah, just like drape myself in tinfoil. You know, thinking of cosplay, I was thinking that uh, Rask or the Underworld Guards would be a really easy cosplay. You just wear these black hoods. I was thinking exactly (laughs) the same thing. Um, All right, okay. Welcome, everybody, to the, uh, what is this? Episode 60. It is episode 60. Dum, dum, dum. Yes. <laughs> episode 60, six zero of the Metabolus 2 podcast, which features me, Ben. And David. Fantastic. And this week, we are going to be talking about the excellent Underworld. <laughs> the much maligned, unloved. Unloved Underworld. Yes. Um, David, uh-huh. why, why is Underworld so, so unloved? Well, I think it had a lot of bad memories for the people who watched it contemporarily. It's not very good. Yep. Uh, probably stood out with the CSO sets. Uh, the Crinoid podcast tweeted this week uh, yeah. a picture of the Dr. Leela in the tunnels, the CSO tunnels, with the caption, no sets, please, sets, we're please, British. We're British. <laughs> you know what that is, right? No, yeah. It was like the long-running play in the West right, End. Right, Yeah, okay, excellent, good. <laughs> Well, so, okay. So I mean, so well, I, I did a quick... Yeah, yeah, sorry, I just I did a quick survey. Wife in Space... Didn't like it. Uh, uh, Toby Hayda, uh, Rob Sherman in Running Through Corridors, didn't like it. Um, you know, lis- listening to other podcasts, there's not mm. a lot of love for this story in Doctor Who fandom, I think. And, Interesting. And I think... I think we might have a different perspective on it. Put it that way. I think I think we got a slightly different perspective. I mean, what, what amazes me about Underworld is that, of course, the way that it was made, and we all mm-hmm. know why it was made that way, because they were starting to run out of money, right? Um, and they couldn't afford to go to Wookiee Hole, you mm-hmm. know, which is you know the the go to the go to cave system for Doctor Who. And again, you know, um, uh, do, 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 Doctor Who's done real caves, right? So you know, um, had marvelous caves in. Uh, the Mutants, too. In, in The Mutants and, um, and Revenge of the Cybermen. And Doctor Who's done pretend caves as well. Right. Uh, uh, Doctor Who's never done virtual caves. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in some ways, maybe fans then and fans now, or you know, people who like the show then and people who like the show now, 
were kind of, you know, why didn't they just go and use some real caves? I actually like these pretend caves. And I like these pretend caves for two reasons. One of which is they're kind of otherworldly feeling. Right. Um, I mean, obviously, the science is junk because it's Bob Baker and Dave <laughs> Martin. But, you know, this is a newly formed planet. Right. Um, and the caves are kind of weird looking. And that's that's really good. But the other thing, of course, is this is how movies are made nowadays. You know, mm-hmm. you know um, when they're shooting Star Wars or whatever, you know, Luke Skywalker isn't on a real island or right. like in a real cave. He's on a green screen. Right. And so, you know, this underworld, this is how they make shows now. Mm-hmm. This is how everything is made. Right. So it's a real, you know, it's actually really interesting. This is like the first kind of green, completely green screen alien mm-hmm. world. I think it's, I think it's great. The problem for me with the caves... Is actually, and this is a pretty common problem kind of, you know, across the board with Doctor Who of this era, is they didn't spring for a proper Foley artist. Hmm. Um, so if only they'd... Have, so again, watching it, as I obviously did quite recently, right. um, <laughs> you know, uh, what, what was missing were the, ca- the footsteps of mm-hmm. our heroes mm-hmm. and the various ragtag miners mm-hmm. on the floor of the cave. Right. Uh, they and do the own, voice is good. They have a the lot of echo, a lot of reverb. super echoey. They're fantastic. If only they got just, you know, just got like some Foley guy in from around the corner who was, you know, just finishing up on Blue Peter or something <laughs> um, and just got him to do some like clippity-cloppity, you know, we're walking on, on stone sound effects. Right. I would have been completely convinced. Hmm. Interesting. Well, not completely convinced, but I would have been a lot more convinced. <laughs> well, I think looking back at it now, what, you know, 40 years hence or... Mm that it doesn't really stand out as much from the season 15 as it probably did at the time. I think it's on caliber. It sort of blends in the, okay, this is mid-late 70s Doctor Who. It's no worse in in some ways. I think the R1C set is excellent, especially when compared to the sets that were in the earlier Bob Baker and Dave Martin story, Invisible Enemy, in this season. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it really stands out. It's a great set. There's really good model work. Um, yeah, the spaceship mm-hmm. looks looks great. It flies through this. The model work is, yeah, the model work is just amazing. Yeah, and when it crashes into the planet and it's all kind of liquid and stuff, that's great. It's mm-hmm. fa- it's it's mm-hmm. It's really good. Um, I love the big windows um, that are obviously again kind mm-hmm. of green screen. Um, those work super mm-hmm. well. It's a, yeah, the, the, the sets are great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just to talk about the model work, the, yeah. uh, the visual effects designer is uh, Richard Conway okay. and he he has some really serious cred. I mean, he was an assistant on Green Death which with amazing visual effects there. Uh. But then visual effects on Seeds of Doom, mm-hmm. Robots of Death, and then now on Underworld, and his final Doctor Who will be next time with the Invasion of Time. But then he went on into the movies. Okay. Brazil, Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Really? Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune. This guy has won a BAFTA. So that's the visual effects guy. That's amazing. He's not the modeler, but he is the designer. He did the, the, the designs. He, you know, he did the drafting or the, the, the imagination of these effects. And the way they filmed the model work for... The R R one C um going through space and then with the nebula and stuff, those are really good effects. They're much better. They're an improvement over the model work that we had earlier in the season with uh with, with the invisible enemy. Yeah, absolutely, a- absolutely. And I actually I, I looked it up and I wish I'd I'd, ri- I'd written down the name, but the costume designer on on Underworld. Oh, Rupert Jarvis. Rupert Jarvis. Um, mm-hmm. the costumes. 
amazing. Yeah. They're really super creepy. Um, the spacesuits mm-hmm. are great. They go- they have these golden spacesuits, completely appropriate for mm-hmm. a story that is slightly, well, not slightly, completely ripped off Greek mythology. Um, the uh, the kind of guardian costumes are they called? They, they, were they called the guardians? Who are the people with seers? The seers. Well, well uh, the guard. Well, there's the guard. The, so, so, okay, so, so the guardians, the guys in the kind of white hoods, and those kind of creepy little kind of eyelets for eyes. Are just those are mm-hmm. fantastic. And then the seers right. with those domed golden heads with the three eyes. Excellent. I, I mean, to this, I mean, they freaked me out at the time, and they freak me out mm-hmm. now. That is a ama- that's an amazing piece of costume design, um, and just mm-hmm. kind of vaguely, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, uh, you know, weirdly sadomasochistic costumes. It's just <laughs> very, very good. I really, really like mm-hmm. the costumes. I mean, obviously, the the miners are kind of bog standard, you know, slaves, so they're all dressed in rags. The yeah, yeah, they're just kind of trogs, yeah. basically. Um, but I think I think the, the the costumes of the villains. It looks great. It looks really mm-hmm. really good all the way through. Mm-hmm. All the way through. So we have great costuming from Jarvis. We have great visual effects from Conway. Then the the designer himself, Dick Coles, mm-hmm. amazing design of those sets. Yep. And it was his ingenuity that saved Underworld. Underworld should not have been made right. with the budget that they had. Right. But Dick Coles thought that he could do. This was CSO based off of the the experiences that they have. They thought the BBC thought they could pull this off. Yep. And that's why they had director um, Norman Stewart doing. This is his first directing job because okay. he was, I think, uh, uh, the PA or whatever for The Invisible Enemy, which had all the CSO work. Right. So he did a really good job with the CSO in uh, The Invisible Enemy. And so then they gave him a shot at uh, directing an underworld. And this is this is a hard. If you talk, if you listen to directors now, even working with even actors working in the green screen, the CSO blue screen environment is hard. It's hard for yep. the directors too because it's all imagining. It's all within the artist's mind yep, yep. until everything gets mixed together. Yep. And so for your first directing job. I think he did a really pretty good job with this. He did an excellent job, exactly. I I mean, you know, the directing is, you know, it's not the greatest, but it's, you know, to to work with, you know, obviously during the Barry Letts era, you know, we had the famous, you know, uh, Terror of the Orton green screen kitchen. Um, right. which is which is just ridiculous because it was just a woman running <laughs> into a picture of a kitchen and then running right. out again. Um, so I mean, there was some there was some pathetic CSO work in in the early seventies. This is really pretty sophisticated CSO work. It really it really pretty is. And you know, for for an organization and a director who's kind of really kind of learning that, it's this right. is this is pretty impressive stuff. Um, Dick Coles, who you just referenced, the other Doctor Who that he designed was Terminus. Ah. So you can actually see that there's actually a similarity there, that there's this kind of grungy kind of, you know... The Star Wars lived-in world. That lived-in world, and that kind of, you just kind of ugliness and sort of, you know, just kind of dirt feeling... Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's yeah. I mean, I mean, it looks it looks great. It looks really really good all the way through. The um, weakest, yeah. Well, I mean, so the weakest part. The, uh, what, what what makes it a, in the end actually a, a kind of a weak story is a. It's really short. Um, I was I was kind of timing it mentally um, when I was watching it, and basically you've got twenty minute episodes. Um, if you mm-hmm. count the intro and the outro, and uh, yeah, those are like two or three minute long. Yeah, 
Exactly. So this is this is really if we we look at new who. I mean, this is this is a new who two two parter. If if that basically. So it's short. Um, mm-hmm. It it has like all Bob Baker Dave Martin joints. Um, it you know it has some great ideas, which really don't ever really get resolved. Right. I think what they're good at is coming up with great ideas. Yep. Um, you can, I think you can see Dave Martin's advertising copywriting starting to really kick in when now we have the quest, the quest is, is the, the quest. quest. Oh, I love the, I, 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 I often say to myself, the quest <laughs> is the quest, just, you know, when I'm doing something, because it's just a great mm-hmm. thing to say. It's perfect. So there's always these catchphrases yeah. in these. And, and, uh, I watched the making of the, the episode and the, the actors would often say that just to move a scene along <laughs> because <laughs> there wasn't a, Bob Baker and Dave Martin did not deliver with this script enough material to work with and no. Anthony Reed this is the first time he's flying solo as script editor he didn't pad it out each right. serial like you said they're running about 20 minutes right each episode could have taken another scene to develop the backstory maybe elaborate mm-hmm. on the Gallifrey and interaction with the minions and- which is which is actually pretty cool in fact I mean I usually don't like Gallifrey being involved, mm-hmm. but I mean, I think the idea of this 10,000 year, 100,000 year mm-hmm. quest, which is obviously a quest of some kind, and you know, these people are being kept alive using Time Lord technology, it's, mm-hmm. it's great. It's a, it's, it's a really, really mm-hmm. good concept. Um, uh, the old age makeup for Imogen Bickford Smith <laughs> is, is a little bit little bit um unconvincing right. i i you know i think nowadays what you do is either you put on some really great makeup or you just hire an old woman who looks vaguely like you but yeah i mean that's a that's all good basically um mm-hmm. but uh, you know the, the kind of oracle pops up in the final episode is the kind of big right. bad kind of weak <laughs> um the oracle is a is is, is a bit like zoannan it's right some kind of, it's maybe a crazy computer who knows it's not really explained um, it gets tricked. It gets tricked in quite a cool way. Mm-hmm. I like the kind of, you know, the old switcheroo um, that's um, that's done. But you're not really explained, like, what the hell the Oracle is doing. See what I mean? Right. Or were the Sears some from. kind of... Yeah. Are they cyborg? Are they... They look like robots, right? Or some kind of mechanical thing? Yeah, they're scary you know, as but, hell, as I've just said. But yeah, yeah. But, but their helmets look much like the helmets... Of Jackson and crew. Yeah. When, when did Anthony Reed start on this show? I, I don't actually know. What was his I think first? he shadowed uh, Holmes for at least two stories before this. Right. I'm, I'm actually placing a lot of the blame here on, on, on Anthony Reed as like, you mm-hmm. know, one of his very first script editing jobs. Because, you know, he should know by, the, you know, a script, good script editor knows at this point that well, what you have to do with Baker and Martin scripts is you've got to pad them out with some of your own good stuff but he's a he was a producer i mean he i think he, uh, graham williams kind of nudged him back on because right graham williams was i think a script editor underneath or uh, for tony reed so okay. this wasn't like uh with uh director norman stewart his first outing i mean anthony yeah. reed should have known better i just known better. i just wonder if if we look at Anthony Reed's further entries, he really likes this uh, mining of mythology for Doctor Who that we'd see like in the Horns of Nyman. Yeah. And I just wonder if this was catnip for Anthony Reed that right. he, he was really into the, the you know, P7E and Herrick and Orf and yeah. you know, Jackson instead of Jason that he didn't see it. Or maybe it was just that 
maybe they didn't think this was actually going to get made because they're running out of money. Maybe they just, yeah, maybe they thought, well, we're just going to have a short season and this one isn't going to get made, so I'm not going to bother to spend any, any, any time with it. Right. Um, that's that's possible. I'll have to say, um, at the time, uh, and I can remember this very clearly as a, as a kid, I felt really, really patronized by the Greek and Roman, the, the Greek <laughs> mythology references. Because, you know, I mean, I don't know whether it's the same with, with American school kids, but, you know, you get taught a lot of Greek mythology at school. Mm. It's so up on the surface and so easy to follow um, that I just felt like, well, they're just ripping off. They, they just got my copy of, you know, right. Roger Lenson Green's, you know, Tales from Ancient Greece, and mm. they've just copied that out. So I, I actually felt a bit ripped off plot-wise at the time. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm less irritated about it now, of course, because I'm not 12 years old. Um, but, and you've forgotten all of it. <laughs> and, and I've forgotten I've forgotten half of what I knew. Um, uh, but but still, it's it, there's a little bit of laziness there, mm-hmm. I think. You know, and there's things that are just completely underdeveloped. You know, the whole kind of like, how does he know what a tree is? Right. Well, how, how does he know what a tree or is? Or how did this... That, how long... What? Eh? It's just not really explained. And how, how did the society develop with these trogs and the guards and the seers and there's just yeah it it doesn't it doesn't even why are they slaves and what are they actually doing right what are they mining them obviously they're, they're mining rocks to put into the crushers which turn into food so they can mine more rocks which sounds actually like a great idea. I mean, you know, I mean, if they can make food from rocks, then they right. should be really happy about it. <laughs> I don't know why they all have to be whipped and stuff. If like if 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 the um if the option was like make mine rocks and turn them into food or not mine rocks and starve to death, I'd go and mine, <laughs> mine some rocks. rocks yeah. And I and I wouldn't let I wouldn't say like no, don't whip me because you know what I'm going to do this anyway. <laughs> I think it's so, I, I think know. it's just kind of a laziness that you it is. that you mentioned. And I think a, a better, a better mentor, or maybe a, someone like a, like Stephen Moffat, who would say, "Okay, this is a good idea, but have you thought about expanding it this way?" Or, yep. Yep. or uh, Terrence Dix, who would say, "Okay, these yep. are good, but then you know you got to develop this more, and we got to yeah. cut this part." It I'm, just I'm right there, yeah. They yep. needed they needed more development in the script because. There's a lot of interesting things going on, like with uh, Jackson not realizing that the Trogs and the guards even were the descendants of the minions. Yeah. So why is it okay at the end that the seer, the seers are robots and the Oracle get blown up, right? But yeah. the guards also go down with the P-70E ship. Mm-hmm. Why, why is it okay for those minions and not and the trogs to survive you know there's there's a lot of explanation or exposition left on the table or you know some of the ideas just provide just a little more hints yeah or a little more glue to uh-huh. how does the minion society work yeah and you and you and you, you just said these concepts i was going to say literally left on the table which is of course <laughs> not true but they're, they're metaphorically absolutely left on the table like there's a bunch of stuff that they could have written to mm-hmm. make this long <laughs> longer um and make more sense um mm-hmm. and they and they didn't basically um you know it could, because it's it's great there's some great stuff in it you know i love you know that they're, they're searching for these these race banks and the race banks have already been kind of unpacked and turned into slaves that's right. great you know there was there's a there's a kind of very under underplayed end part with you know with jackson and jackson not wanting to take people and take them onto the right. spaceship and the doctor said no no these are the people you've been searching for all these years that's an amazing reveal the man's been searching for this stuff for a hundred thousand years 
and he's found it. You know, right. The quest right. is over. I mean, that should that should be blowing their minds. Mm-hmm. The the other thing is, I, I when, when, whenever whenever they're called trogs, the only thing I can think of is the '60s pop group, the Trogs. <laughs> Well, I kept hearing Skyfall, so I kept thinking of Adele's uh, theme to James Bond, Skyfall, every time they talk about Skyfall. Well, okay, this, let's, we, can, we, can, we can carry on doing this. When, whenever they said Minions, all I could think of was the Minions. From, um, <laughs> and then, and then when, you, when, they have, when the Sears have those <laughs> domed yellow heads with mm-hmm. three eyes, it's like, oh, yeah, that's where they got the Minions from. from <laughs> yes. From that, those awful movies with Minions mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, actually, just, just warming to that theme, um, what's he called? Idas. Yeah. The um the one I just like that's Eric Idle basically. It was just it was just Eric Idle off some kind of Monty Python sketch <laughs> where there's a ragged slave. Um right. either either from the life of Brian or mm-hmm. from um you know, the the Camelot one. Right. It's basically Eric Idle so and I couldn't uh, Norman couldn't... Tipton is channeling Monty Python. At that definitely point. channeling <laughs> definitely channeling channeling Monty Python at that point, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I think what's ironic is that is that when you read kind of, you know, received wisdom about this, about Underworld, mm-hmm. is what is what people say is like, it's, you know, the special effects are awful, they're really cheap looking, that's what makes it bad. Actually, the special effects are brilliant mm-hmm. and really, really good, as is the costuming, as is the direction, as is the acting. It's actually the story and the script that let it down. Right. It's it's the Bristol Boys, I think, ultimately, that let it down with a, a feeble assist from... Uh, a feeble <laughs> assist, absolutely. From, from Anthony Reed. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Leela, I think... Well, before I go on to Leela, I mean, yeah. just to uh, expand on... There's a lot of neat ideas in here with the idea of Orph and, or Orpheus with mm-hmm. the pacifying ray. That is a really cool concept, and you wonder why they don't use the pacifying ray when they're out more than once, right? Yeah. When they're out in the tunnels with the guards or anything like that, it's like they throw out ideas and then they never pick them up again. Yeah. They never expand on it. Yeah. And what's really disappointing as a fan of K nine, I mean, by this point, I had been making K nine models and whatnot. This is the creators of K9, Baker and Martin, and all K9 is in this story is shooty dog thing. It's shooty dog thing. This yep. is very emblematic of what they are. The creators, they come up with these great ideas. Baker and Martin come up with these great ideas, and then they never know what to do with them. Yep. And yep. you need someone clever to come along saying, actually, have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing that? And then they're yep. they're happy to expand and write on it, but yep. you need someone to keep nudging them until something sticks no i, no, I agree and, I, and you know your point about the pacifying ray is is, is exactly great it's a, it's a great concept I, i'm not sure there's been a pacifying ray in doctor who before um and it's used once and you know, why it's on the bridge of the spaceship um what are they pacifying each other when they get pissed off like after the first forty thousand years well uh, alan lake <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're they're pacifying hercules <laughs> They're constantly having to having to pacify him because he's always getting because he's always like I am I'm probably Hercules right um, yeah I don't mm-hmm. know yeah 
Yeah, he is good though. Actually, yeah. I, I, I mean, the the acting's good. I think the casting's good. The acting's good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, apart from Eric Idle, <laughs> I really like uh, James Maxwell, who played the captain. I yeah. like that soliloquy that he does, just saying that they've been going on this quest for a hundred thousand years, quest is quest. and they're tired and they're exhausted, and their bodies and minds aren't wore out, but their spirit, their drive, mm. they're a ship of ghosts, and I. really really think episode one of underworld is as good as almost anything else in season 15 bar horror fang rock yeah i'd I'd agree i'd agree with that and if and if underworld had continued along those lines it'd be great i mean what other companion to that point have we had flying the tardis so at the beginning of underworld leela is flying the tardis and maybe it's just something to give louise jameson to do yeah but it's a nice scene where she is humming to herself flying the tardis yeah yeah it's good yeah and that you know yeah it's 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 a lovely bit of early business on that and the doctor mm-hmm. comes out you know and he's smock and he's been you know, painting a picture using a house painting brush mm-hmm. or something whatever the hell he's been doing and throws the smock on canine which it, it deliberately yeah, you know yeah yeah no, it's like, no i think the the regulars are good in it and mm-hmm. and again i mean if we're going we're going to talk about leela um you know again louise jameson just does a really stand-up job um as with as usual. very little to work with with almost nothing to work mm-hmm. with exactly exactly and she plays it really well i mean the uh, baker and martin give the doctor a line when they're looking at the nebula saying that, you know, cause they're at the edge of this blackness and saying, you know, shush, uh, we're the first intelligent and semi-intelligent beings to witness this spectacle. And then, you know, the doctor asks a question like what's canine saying? And Leela's very cross saying, I don't know, you know, in an angry, right. uh, annoyed voice. This is once again, just what we saw in invisible enemy Baker and Martin and ding and Leela thinking she's a dummy. Yeah, and maybe they're thinking that K nine, but I think that the semi intelligent line is a ding against Leela, and I just don't like it. No, why? What's the point? It's just Leela is a brilliant, brilliant woman. She's comes from an uneducated background, but crying out loud she's flying the TARDIS she really knows she's an intelligent person absolutely she's not semi-intelligent I mean you know and that's that's the whole point of Leela you know that's that's where she that's the point is that she's a super intelligent Mm -hmm. resourceful uh, person who comes from a you know a degraded backward culture I mean and and not just like a primitive unadvanced color but a a deliberately a degraded culture a culture that's actually gone backwards right um so yeah exactly it's it's a it's really old-fashioned and and not very useful stuff the way that they treat her and I think maybe this is a, a problem with Bob Holmes leaving and Anthony Reed coming on because I think if there was a little bit more of continuity in the production team the script editor would say, look, you have another society that Leela should recognize. It's yeah. very similar to this uh, society that she You're came correct, from. correct, of course. In, in face of evil that has degenerated into tribalism or into superstition or whatever mm. with, with p- potentially, like you mentioned earlier, a crazed computer, wh- whatever the oracle is, that leela should have twigged on this or she could have commented on it yeah or you know or provided some kind of insight or observation but that is entirely lacking in the story yeah yeah no exactly exactly and using the pacifying ray on leela 
And then afterwards, when the doctor tries to snap her out of it, her reaction, I kind of get the sense that the way Jameson plays it, that Leela felt very violated. Yeah. First off, it took away who Leela is, the feisty mm-hmm. savage of the seven team. But then the way Jameson portrays Leela after that, you're all laughing at me. I'll smash the stupid grins off your stupid faces. And then she sulks. But I mean, something was taken away from her at that point, yeah, And it's yeah. really kind of a creepy, creepy yeah. feeling, especially the way that Jamison plays it. Yeah, and yeah. I love Doctor Who, but I think Louise Jamison is almost too good of an actor to be well, you know, I, on I, this I, show. That's, that's exactly correct. I mean, I, I, you know, obviously, spoiler alert, we're coming to the end of Leela's tenure on the show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's a commonplace for uh, Who actresses, especially ones who are cast as uh, the Doctor's companions, to say, well, I came on, you know, at the beginning and they said I was going to be this character and then they kind of gave up and I just became a screaming woman um, Mm -hmm. and then I got pissed off and then I left. That's the kind of arc of actresses, (laughs) sadly, for Doctor Who in the 60s and 70s. Right. Um, Even in the 80s. And even in the 80s. Actually, what is interesting, I think, about Louise Jameson is is is, is that... She's, I think, and this is not to razz on on the other amazing, wonderful actresses who who have been in Doctor Who. Right. She's, I think she's the only one where that that is actually really true, mm-hmm. um, in that she was given a a very very gutsy and interesting and fascinating character. She is an amazing actress and actor, and all the way through her tenure on the show, she has mm-hmm. acted her ass off. Right. Getting that character right. character to work, and you can really maybe even see like in Underworld, like she's she's just mining the kind of few words that she's given and right. just making that character real. You can actually see her frustration in some mm-hmm. ways as as an actor, and you can actually really understand why she probably wanted to leave because it just you know she was giving it everything that she'd got as a right. as an incredibly skillful actor, and mm-hmm. it just it just really wasn't going anywhere, and it was just too much effort. And I think if if you look at the other shows that she then worked on in the in the seventies and 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 into the eighties, I right. mean Louise Jameson was the best genre TV actor. Um, female TV actor of the 70s and 80s in the UK. Mm-hmm. I mean, absolutely blew, every, you know, knocked everything out of the right. park. The, you know, work on Tenko and that one where she's solving crimes. I can't remember what it's called now, but, you know, yeah. I mean, she is great. Mm-hmm. And the reason why we love Leela so much is really because of Louise Jameson yep. and the way that she was able to weave her magic around just the kind of duffest scripts <laughs> that she was given. And you, and the, the point, you know, and, and, and the reason why I'm belaboring this point is that is that the way she plays that encounter with the pacifying ray is a, a is she does play it as a as a violation which is a really interesting way to play it right um, a less good actor would have you know just kind of laughed that one off as a kind of a funny thing that happens to the savage right which is what the script thinks it is right but Louise Jameson is really thinking about how her character would have felt it's right. just amazing right yeah and Leela was written as a very interesting, strong character in the first three scripts. So we had Face of Evil, Robots of Death, and Towns of Wang Chang. Leela is really an interesting character. Louise Jamison is given material to work with. And then with the change in production, I don't think Graham Williams really knew what to do with Leela. Yep. And we have almost an entirely different character for season 15 than we had for those three stories in season 14. 
mm-hmm. and horror fang rock and uh, image of the fendel do give leela something to do is Sunmakers is a little bit better but if we look at the two baker stories and then the 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 final final one next week yeah there's no arc for leela there should i mean there's a very obvious arc of educating eliza doolittle yeah yeah but that that's abandoned it's just there is no arc for leela it's just a interesting character a brilliant actress that material is just not there and that's probably the the saddest thing about watching underworld and again the interesting thing is i mean i obviously i've been re-watching uh invasion of time in preparation for the one we're going to do next Mm -hmm. and she's she's acting you know the the background kind of you know side side of camera business that she produces to animate her character right. is just flawless mm-hmm. we'll obviously talk about invasion time when we talk about it in, in invasion of time but there was one just little scene it's like my i can't believe she's actually bothering to do that right because you know no one cares you know no one cares you know the director doesn't care the actors don't care the script writer didn't care etc etc you really care about right. making that character work um I, but i you know really Honestly, love, you know, you should just probably leave this show at this point um, mm-hmm. because, you know, no one really cares about your character as strongly right. as you do. I think she suffers from similar fate that like a Clara character suffered from early on in the Moffat era that he just really didn't know what to do with her. And so yeah. um, which is ironic because he because he's the one who made her up. So mm-hmm. but anyway, so he reinvented her. So Clara one is not the same as Clara two. No, you know, there's not. many different Claras. It's a totally different character. Yeah. But with Louise, with just the little bit that she's given, like the line to uh, eat us with, uh, don't worry, he has saved many fathers. Come on. I mean, it's a really good line, but there's no basis in their adventures together, the Doctor and Leela, for her to say it. I mean, we have a total party kill <laughs> with <Yeah>. uh, Hora <laughs> Fang Rock. Her father was executed before the doctor even arrived on the scene in uh-huh. Face of Evil. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful line. Um, Jemison delivers it excellently, but it isn't really indicative of Leela's experiences with the doctor. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've praised the CSO. We've praised mm-hmm. the uh, model work. We've praised the uh, set for the R1C. There are some pretty naff or pretty bad uh proper special effects in there like the binder clips being used to hook up canine <laughs> I, I love those i love those they were my favorites okay <laughs> so, i mean they've they've obviously they've got stuff on the spaceship they've got paper on the spaceship <laughs> that they need to you know they need to clip it together it's a hundred thousand years it's a hundred thousand years worth of paperwork so they got these Big, giant, great big bulldog <laughs> clips, and of course, you know what? How other? What other way would you use to connect canines' ears to your spacecraft? Um, I have to say, actually, this is this is, I think, one of the earlier instances where where I start to start to really dislike canine more than I did originally, oh, okay. um, because he becomes this kind of you know this aurac and Blake Seven reference, mm-hmm. um, this aurac style kind of supercomputer that is better than. Any other thing that is a computer in the entire history of the universe. Um, or that he can be hooked up with anything and power the entire spaceship. Exactly. Like how? You know, we, we, we know when you were made, K-9. We know who bought you from the K-9 store, Dr. <laughs> Professor Mariner. So 
we know where you're from. You're you're no good. You're, I mean, you're, you you can be no better than <laughs> Earth in the whatever century P- Professor Mar- Marinus was from. All of a sudden, you become this. You know. Anyway, yeah, that's one of the things that kind of started to really bug me about canine. So um, bulldog clips are great. Um, I'm I'm now going to say another thing that's great. I love those mirror weapon things. Oh, the shields. The shields, yeah. The shield guns, yeah. Which obviously another Richard some, Conway <laughs> design. At some at some point in someone's head, there was going to be some kind of Medusa thing going on, and those you know those mirror guns would have been like is it Perseus? You know, has yeah. the mirror the mirror shield so that he can defeat mm-hmm. Medusa? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did that happen? No, basically, because no one could be bothered to write it in the script. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously someone had thought, well, that, that would be cool. Right, yeah. Since you mentioned the shield guns, did you notice another bit of Richard Conway's visual effects from an earlier story that you love? I did not. No, tell me what that is. The earphones that uh, Herrick has when he's being tortured by the Oracle and the Sears. <laughs> oh, do you they... recognize them? <laughs> I do recognize them now. <laughs> oh my God, of course. Stephen, they're Stephen's headphones. Yes, they're the headpiece for communicating with Boss from with the Green Devil. Boss, the biomorphic <laughs> system supervisor. That is amazing. Wow. So, so yeah. maybe, okay. maybe, maybe 100,000 years in the future, the boss reprograms or becomes the Oracle. The Oracle. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is, okay, that's a piece of fan fiction I'm going to sit down and write tonight. <laughs> the Oracle it's, is it's, boss. It's, it's NaNoWriMo time. <laughs> exactly. If only, if only, if only the Oracle started, started humming had started humming <laughs> Wagner, then we would have known. Which, of course, would have been entirely appropriate, because didn't Wagner write operas involving Greek and Roman characters, probably? Norse, Norse. Norse, but did, he must have done a Roman one as well, didn't he? I don't know. I know, I know nothing about Wagner, sadly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, wow, that's so true. Oh, yes, amazing. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, there's another plus in Underworld's <laughs> call. Exactly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful! Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, there's and there's a mm-hmm. nice little scene, and that I mean, I didn't know this until rewatching the documentary on it. But the scene where the doctor is organizing all the trogs and carrying the little girl down the kind of the rock face or the mm-hmm, rock mm-hmm. staircase that was entirely Tom Baker's doing because he was trying to expand <laughs> the story, make, make it longer, yeah, right? Exactly. And trying to sell. So that's that's entire uh, Tom Baker took f- charge of the floor the extras and really really tried to do that organization scene just and it adds some detail and depth into this already short running part four series of uh, underworld exactly well you know as we you know tom cared about the show he cared Mm -hmm. about the show and you know i think he gets he gets a lot of stick for you know being mean to louise and wanting a cabbage (laughs) <laughs> instead of a instead of an actual companion and blah 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 but you know he mm-hmm. did care about the show yep and he still cares about the show he's awesome mm-hmm. i love tom baker and and it's impossible not to love him he's a national mm-hmm. treasure yep well well underworld there's not much beyond that i mean it's a short running serial and it's a this is a short running podcast yeah, absolutely consequently <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's just to repeat myself. I think it's ironic, as you know, for, for the received fan wisdom that I, I receive is this mm-hmm. story sucks because of the effects and the costumes and right. you know, blah blah blah. This actually the story sucks because the story sucks. Um, right. Everything else is like on point, as mm-hmm. who so often is. You right. know, the BBC is where the great people who go on, go on to amazing things get trained. Um, right. This is where they start their work. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you can, uh, even down to this kind of simplistic fact that 
this this landscape is basically green screen. Right. That's how everything's made nowadays. Right. And this was this was the first one to do that. Right. Yeah, I think from design, from visual effects, set design, costumes, I think the actors more or less do a really good job in this. As we identified earlier, where we're let down is the actual script. Yep, yep, yep. So yay, Underworld, basically. <laughs> it, they did well with what they did, and I'm I'm glad they actually made it. I mean, it could have been yeah. a canceled, it could have been a lost Doctor Who. Wow, um, yeah. I think we would have had... Uh, a lot of what ifs, and we certainly would have inflated what they could have done in the 19, 1977 time yeah. frame. Maybe, maybe, maybe today they'd be releasing the umpteenth new version of Underworld <laughs> in a DVD steelbook edition just in time for Christmas. Um, when actually most people are going, like, Oh, God, not another version of Underworld. I've got four or five already, which is how I feel about Sharda, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm not going to be buying that. I'm afraid. Well, maybe I probably will, but well, whatever. It depends if that completionist gene kicks in. Uh, I mean, they already had. There's already a DVD edition of Shard. Mm-hmm. I already have that one, <laughs> and I have the one of, and I have the big finish one mm-hmm. with 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 Paul McGann. I mm-hmm. mean, good yep. lord. Anyway, whatever. Well, mm-hmm. I wonder if it wasn't Douglas Adams if it would be receiving this much attention. Yeah, I mean, I love Douglas Adams, when, uh, but really, you know, um, he, he didn't write enough. And, you know, the more you scrape his particular barrel, I think the less <laughs> yummy, the less yummy particles you, you, you uncover, in my opinion. Right. Mm, there you go. Well, I think our quest is over, the finally. Quest is the quest. 100,000 years. 100,000 100, years. 100, years of commenting about the underworld. <laughs> commenting on underworld. Oh my goodness! That's that just thought me of an amazing art project. Some of our listeners will be will be familiar with Douglas Gordon, um, the uh, the Scottish artist who does things like um, he has this thing called Twenty Four Hour Psycho, where he slows down the Hitchcock's film The Psycho, <laughs> um, so it takes twenty four hours to watch mm-hmm. it. Um, he had a project that I actually I think never never came about in the end which was he was going to slow down John Wayne's The Searchers, um, mm-hmm. the John Ford Western, right. so that it would take as long to watch The Searchers as it took the, ca- the character that John Wayne plays in The Searchers to find his daughter, um, which mm-hmm. is like 25 years or something. I want to be in a world where Douglas Gordon slows down Underworld <laughs> so it takes 100,000 years to watch it. Oh. And I challenge that, that <laughs> Scottish artist to do that because I think that would be amazing. <laughs> Would that be with or without the reprises? No, but it would be the whole thing. It would be, it would be all of it. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, dear. I, oh, I mean, you would, it, it'd be literally watching the paint dry because there, yeah. nothing happened for years. No, exactly. Exactly. It would be, it would be amazing. You, you'd be dead, of course, after the first 100 years because yeah. you, you only had the lifetime of, of a human. But it would become a cult in the end. People well, would be you, like, yeah, you could would imagine. worship the screen mm-hmm. where, where it was being very, very slowly projected. Mm-hmm. And that it just, it'd be like this uh, triumphant thing. We've, we've moved a frame forward. <laughs> exactly. And imagine how you'd feel after you spent 100,000 years watching Underworld when <laughs> it finally came to the end. You'd feel like, you'd feel like God. <laughs> Which unfortunately is not what we get actually in the show. You know, they, we we don't have that ecstatic reaction from our, our heroes. No, and Jackson really doesn't even acknowledge that these trogs are his people. Are his people? Yeah. <laughs> so there you go, underworld. Mm. Mm. So next time we're gonna have the 
exciting conclusion of season 15, The Invasion mm-hmm. of Time, a return, of time. return to Gallifrey. Return, return, and, return of the Gallifreyans, yep. It's not going to be too much of a spoiler since we've been talking about this throughout our time looking at Louise Jameson's time as Leela. It's the final, final story uh, barring dimensions in time with Leela that was broadcast on television. Yeah, 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 and it's it's yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk about it when we when we talk about it. Yeah, when we convene. When we reconvene. All right. Well, okay. So it'll be a while. Um, we have in the U.S. We have a the festival of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving will... holiday. So we will mm-hmm. be taking a little time off to be with our families. Ah, oh, bless, bless <laughs> us, bless us, everyone. Yes, I will be with my family, and David will be with his. Mm, and excellent. I hope, uh, listener, that you will also be with your family this mm-hmm. holiday season. Ah. Ah. <laughs> all right <Okay>. well <laughs> all right thank you for listening to episode 60 of 60. the metabilis 2 podcast i have been talking to ben and i have been talking to david the quest is over the quest is over <laughs> goodbye Next time on the Metabulous 2 Podcast. When I've been introduced to the Matrix, will I have complete power? More power than anyone in the known universe, yes. Ben and David flash back to... The Invasion of Time. (laughs) 